Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Waiting time doesn't have to be wasted time. Even though you want to pull your hair out in frustration because you feel like God's clock is moving at a glacial pace, God knows exactly where you are right now, and He knows exactly what He's doing. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. In a world of instant video streaming and same-day shipping, the concept of waiting, well, it's become almost foreign. Yet God often calls us to wait, not just for hours or days, but sometimes for months, years, and even decades. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress teaches that God has both a plan for your life and a timeline in which He wants to play it out. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. My wife, Amy, might be the first one to tell you I'm not the most patient guy in the world. Whether it's a traffic jam or a long line at the ticket counter, I grow more anxious with every wasted minute that passes by. Well, in today's study, you'll hear a message that's equally convicting to this preacher. It's based on our study of the prophet Elijah. Together, we'll see that waiting time doesn't have to be wasted time. I've titled this series, Choosing the Extraordinary Life. And to help you dig deeper on your own, I'd like to send you a hardcover copy of my book, Choosing the Extraordinary Life. You don't have to be a superstar saint to break free from your daily grind and see God work in an extraordinary way in your life. No matter what your age or stage of life, God is in the business of using ordinary people like you and me to do His extraordinary work. In my book, I'll share the seven secrets for success and significance in life, including learning to wait on God, unleashing the power of prayer, and finding your unique purpose in life. And as an added bonus, we're including a life application guide to help you get the most out of this teaching. Ask for my new book, Choosing the Extraordinary Life, and the life application guide when you give a generous gift to support Pathway to Victory. I'll say more about my book and other resources at the end of today's message. But right now, let's turn our attention to God's Word. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Kings chapter 17 as we discover secret number three for significance, waiting on God's timing. In our series, Choosing the Extraordinary Life, we're using the story of the Old Testament prophet Elijah to uncover God's seven secrets for success and significance. And today, we're going to begin looking at the third secret for spiritual success and significance, and that is learning to wait on God's timing. Learning to wait on God's timing. If you look through the scripture, you'll discover the men and women God used in an extraordinary way had to learn how to wait upon God. I mean, think about it. God called Noah to a great assignment to build the ark. And yet, Noah had to wait 120 years for the first drop of the predicted rain to fall. Or think about Abraham and Sarah. God promised to make them the parents of a great nation, but they had to wait more than two decades for that child of promise, Isaac. God said to Moses, I'm going to use you to liberate my people out of Egypt. And yet, Moses spent 40 years on the backside of the desert waiting for that time to lead the exodus. 
Or think about the Apostle Paul, who would be the greatest evangelist and theologian in history. And yet he had to spend three years in the Arabian desert preparing for the ministry God had for him. There are some of you right now who are in the waiting place. Why is it that God makes us wait? If you're in a waiting place right now in your life, why has God ordained that as a part of his plan for you? Let me mention three benefits on learning to wait on God's timing. First of all, waiting reminds us of our need for God. Waiting reminds us of our need for God. Do you remember in our series, Second uh, Chance, Second Act, we talked about how to recover from failure in life. And I use the analogy of life as a play. Many times we have some kind of failure in the first act of our life. Doesn't matter what age we are, we have a first act failure. Before we can move to that second act of life, God often calls an intermission. An intermission is a timeout. It's that period of time between our failure and our future. And again, you look throughout the Bible, God has always had an intermission for those who have failed. And at some point in all of our lives, we're going to fail. For Moses, his intermission was that 40 years after he killed the Egyptian soldier until God said it was time to lead the Exodus. For the Israelites, their intermission was that 70 years they spent in Babylonian captivity after they turned away from God before they would return back to the land. For the apostle Peter, his intermission were those seven weeks of time that he spent after his denials of Jesus Christ and before he would be preaching that great sermon on the day of Pentecost. Again, intermission is that period of time between our failure and our future. For you, your intermission is that period of time between the ending of one important relationship and the beginning of a new relationship. For some people, their intermission is that period of time between a moral failure in the first act of their life and the beginning of the restoration of their relationship with God and the restoration of their reputation. You know, we all have intermissions in life, but we hate those intermissions. We always want to rush to the next big thing. But God says, no, especially after a failure, you need to take time. I'm going to put you in a timeout to reassess the causes of your failure and to also renew your relationship with me. Sometimes waiting is a result of failure, but sometimes God wants us to wait because of successes that we have experienced in our life. If we think we are responsible for the good things in our life and we keep racking up success after success, God sometimes calls a time out to say, remember who really is accomplishing all these things. As Paul said in Philippians 2.13, it is God who is at work within you, giving you the will and the power to achieve his purpose. Waiting time sometimes is necessary to remind us of our need for God not only through our failures, but also through our successes. Secondly, waiting on God allows us to recharge our physical, emotional, and spiritual batteries. You know, success in life gives us a shot of adrenaline. We're like the Energizer Bunny, and we feel like we can go on and on and on and on, but pretty soon, 
that adrenaline wears off. And uh, we develop a case of what a hiker friend of mine calls dumb feet. Have you ever heard that expression before? I've never heard that expression, but this hiker friend of mine was explaining to me, if you're on a rigorous hike and you don't take time to rest, your feet just start to stumble and if you're not careful, you end up careening over a mountain. Hikers call it a case of the dumb feet. And he said, if you ever get a case of the dumb feet, you know what to do if you're a hiker. You sit down, you rehydrate, you eat, and you rest before you try to hike again. I was reading this week in Mark chapter 6 about Jesus and his 70 disciples. They actually developed a case of dumb feet. Well, the Bible doesn't exactly call it that, but that's what it was. Remember the story? Jesus had sent his disciples out in groups, small groups, to preach and to heal and to cast out demons. And they came back and they were so excited. And in Mark chapter 6, it says, they reported to Jesus all that they had done and taught. But then, in the next verse, verse 31, Jesus said, after they told him all these great things, he said, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. Jesus knew that his disciples needed time to recuperate from the grace success they had experienced. Thirdly, why does God call us to wait? Because waiting can prepare us for an even greater mission. Waiting can be a time when God prepares us for an even greater mission. Those of you who have been around First Baptist Dallas for a while know my story. I grew up in the church here. I was called to be a pastor when I was 15 years of age and knew that's what God wanted me to do. And Amy and I raced through college uh, in order to get married. And after um, we finished uh, college, we got married and I began my work at the seminary. And when I did that, Dr. Criswell, who was the pastor here at the time, invited me to come on the church staff and serve as the youth minister. And I did that for seven years here. And you know, during that time, I always knew God's plan for me ultimately was to be a pastor. But it was a great time of preparation during those seven years. And during that time, I talked to various pulpit committees, but nothing ever really seemed to work out. Nothing seemed attractive. And so I kept working here. And one day, the spring of 1985, I got a telephone call and the guy on the other end of the phone call said, my name is Lee Graham and I am the chairman of the pastor search committee for the First Baptist Church of Eastland, Texas. He said, now, you may have never heard of Eastland before. And I thought to myself, well, actually, I have heard of Eastland before. Uh, The first time I'd heard about Eastland was exactly a year earlier in the spring of 1984. Uh, We were in a staff meeting here at the church on a Tuesday afternoon. Dr. Criswell was leading the staff meeting, and he said, no, we've got to finish early today because today I have to drive out to Eastland, Texas, to help dedicate the new worship center at that church. And I remember today exactly my thought when he said that. I thought to myself that afternoon, I am so glad I don't live in a place called Eastland, Texas. (laughs) And I'm really glad I hadn't been called to serve in a church in Eastland, Texas. That was the spring of 1984. The spring of 1985, Lee Graham calls and said, we want to talk to you about coming to be the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Eastland, Texas. And I thought, I'm not interested in doing this. So I talked to Amy about it. And she said, you know, Robert, I think, I think we ought to talk to him. 
So we agreed and we met them out here between Dallas and Fort Worth at the First Baptist Church in Crowley on a Wednesday night. And I was going to preach a sermon there that Wednesday night. And the pulpit committee, there were probably 40 or 50 people in the auditorium. The pulpit committee was lined up on about the third row. I'd been preaching about um, 10 minutes. And about 10 minutes into the service, one of the pulpit committee members was... The whole sermon, I watched him just sawing logs there while I was preaching. I thought, this is not good. This, this just isn't good. So afterwards, they wanted to meet with us. And so they arranged for us to meet in somebody's house there in the church in Crowley. And we sat in the closed-in porch area in the back. And they told me, they said, you know, we really believe God is calling you to be the pastor of our church. And I said, well, thank you very much. You know, it was nice. And Amy and I were walking out to get in the car. I said, boy, I'm glad that's over. And with tears streaming down her face, she said, Robert, I think we're supposed to go to that church. I said, what? <laughs> she said, I think we're supposed to go to that church. And then God began to work in my heart. And I knew that was where we were supposed to go. And so we moved to the First Baptist Church in Eastland, Texas. I can't begin to explain to you the culture shock that was to me. To move from a big church in a thriving metropolis to a town of 5,200 out in the middle of nowhere. I tried everything I could those first two years to get out of there. I thought this is a tremendous mistake. But God said, no, you're staying right there. And you know, over those seven years we were there, God did some tremendous things. It was one of the best experiences we ever had. But more importantly, God was teaching me some important lessons that were vitally important to the next mission he had for me in Wichita Falls and ultimately the mission to come back here. If I had missed those years and missed that experience, I wouldn't have been equipped to do what God had called me to do. God many times has us wait in uncomfortable places in order to prepare us for a greater mission. That was certainly true with Elijah. You probably thought, where's Elijah in all of this? Here he is. Turn over to 1 Kings chapter 17. Chapter 17, 1 Kings. You know, it was interesting. Elijah, early in his ministry, had a tremendous success. We find it in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Now that was big, folks, for Elijah to come and confront the king and the queen and said, Because of your paganism, I'm pronouncing a judgment. It's not going to rain. And he was getting started big in Samaria. But then, but then, God told him to go hide himself for three years. For three years, why? Because God had an even bigger mission for Elijah. Yeah, it was a big thing to stand before the king and the queen, but that was nothing compared to confronting 850 sword-wielding prophets of Baal who would try to take his life. Mount Carmel was still ahead. So between this experience and the next experience, God said, it's time for some training and preparation. You know, one popular author 
notes that Marine Corps recruits have to go through a crucible of testing to earn the title United States Marine and the coveted EGA, the Eagle, Globe, and Anchor emblem. You can't imagine, unless you're a Marine, what that training entails. It starts with a 13-week training session at Paris Island or Camp Pendleton, where the recruits suffer through drill instructors running, marching, and pushing them until they begin to think and function like Marines. Now, that's hard enough. The real work is the next part. During a 54-hour marathon, these recruits, if they've survived boot camp, they are put through drills like 40-mile hikes, obstacle courses, all kind of training without any sleep, with little food or water. And only after they have gone through this second experience, which they call the crucible, have they earned the right to be called a United States Marine. You know, Elijah went through a similar process. He went through what one writer calls boot camp at the Brook Kareth, but then he went through the crucible at a place called Zarephath. Look at verses two and three of 1 Kings 17. And remember in verse one, he's just confronted Ahab and Jezebel. But then verse two, the word of the Lord came to Elijah saying, go away from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Kareth, which is east of the Jordan. Why did God tell Elijah to hide himself? I read some of the commentaries and they said, oh, well, that was God protecting Elijah from Ahab and Jezebel. Really? Did he have to hide himself to protect himself from Ahab and Jezebel? If God were worried about Elijah's safety, he would have never had him go to talk to Ahab and Jezebel in the first place. No, God was fully capable of protecting Elijah no matter where he was. I think there are two reasons that God said to Elijah, go hide yourself. First of all, Elijah's waiting or hiding was a condemnation of Israel. You know, that word translated hide literally means remove. God was actually saying, Elijah, go remove yourself by the brook Kareth. One theologian notes that Elijah's temporary removal from the national life of Israel was God's judgment against the nation because there was nobody left to preach God's word. Now remember, there were dozens and dozens of prophets of God, but they were all hiding in a cave somewhere. Elijah was the only one who was willing to openly preach the word of God, and now God was removing him so that there would be nobody for the next three years to preach God's word to the nation. Just think what America would be like today if suddenly every true preacher of the word of God were silenced and there was no preaching of the word of God. This nation would crumble within days under the weight of its own sin. The fact is Amos prophesied of a time in Israel when there would be a famine in the land, a famine of the word of God. That's what was going on here. There was not just a physical famine because of the lack of rain. There was a spiritual famine because of the lack of the preaching of God's word. So Elijah's waiting, his hiding was a condemnation of Israel. But secondly, it was the preparation of Elijah for a future mission. During these three years, God was going to work with Elijah to prepare him for that future mission. You know that word, Kareth, the brook Kareth. We don't know exactly where that brook was in Israel, but we know what the name means. 
The name Kareth means to either cut off or to cut down. To cut off or to cut down. The Old Testament uses that word in both senses. Uh, Kareth means to be cut off from the blessings of God. But it also means to be cut down to size. And that described what was going on with Elijah during his time at Kareth. He was cut off from those people familiar with him. He was cut off from any visible means of support, eating and drinking. But he was also secondly being cut down to size, learning the invaluable lesson of learning how to depend upon God and God alone. You know, I'm speaking to some of you right here listening to this message or watching this on a broadcast. You're in your own Kareth experience. You're in your own waiting time. Maybe right now you feel like you have been cut off from other people. Maybe you feel like you've been cut off from your dreams. You're going through that waiting time in your life. Your Kareth experience, that dry time in your life, that waiting time, Maybe the result of the loss of a relationship, an important relationship to you because of death or desertion of the other person. Your careth, your waiting time may be because of a moral failure in your life for which the consequences continue to pile up and you think they will never end. Your waiting time, your careth experience may be because of a poor decision you made with your finances or your career choice that you think has cut you off from your dreams for the future. Your waiting time, your careth experience may simply be because you're spending all your time fulfilling the mundane responsibilities of caring for your family, providing for your family. You feel like you'll never achieve your goals. Remember this, waiting time doesn't have to be wasted time. Even though you want to pull your hair out in frustration because you feel like God's clock is moving at a glacial pace, God knows exactly where you are right now, and he knows exactly what he's doing. Elijah went through that careth experience, but during that time of waiting, Elijah learned three vital skills every one of us has to learn if we're going to be used by God in an extraordinary way. And next time, we're going to discover what those three skills are for living a truly extraordinary life. During today's teaching time, perhaps you've been thinking about your own journey through Kareth. Like Elijah, maybe God has placed your life on hold. Perhaps you're waiting for a prodigal to find his way back home. Or maybe you're waiting for God to bring a life partner in marriage. Maybe you're waiting on God to heal your body from disease. Whatever your case, remember, waiting time doesn't have to be wasted time. Even in these waiting moments, God is accomplishing His perfect work in you. You'll find much more teaching on this topic in my practical book on Elijah's life called Choosing the Extraordinary Life. You're invited to request a hardbound copy when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. 
Elijah's awesome story proves that we can never underestimate the difference one person can make in the world. And many have told us that they plan to use this book in their small group Bible study, which is great news because we're including a life application guide with questions to help get the conversation flowing. Now, in addition to my book and the life application guide, I'll also send you the Elijah map, a colorful brochure that will add to your understanding of the highs and lows of one of the greatest prophets who ever lived. Please take advantage of these resources by giving us a call, going online to ptv.org, or writing a letter. And thank you for giving generously. Your partnership is truly making a difference as people hear the truth of God's Word and apply it to their lives. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. Here's how to request your copy of the best-selling book by Dr. Robert Jeffress, Choosing the Extraordinary Life, along with the Life Application Guide. As an added bonus, we'll also include a copy of the ministry-exclusive resource, The Elijah Map. Simply call us toll-free at 866-999-2965 or visit us online at ptv.org. And when your gift is $75 or more, we'll also send you, in addition to the book, the complete Choosing the Extraordinary Life teaching series on CD and DVD. To request this special package of resources, call 866-999-2965 or visit ptv.org. If you'd prefer to write, here's the address, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Join us again Tuesday as we learn why waiting time isn't wasted time here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. Join Dr. Robert Jeffress on an unforgettable trip to Israel. You've read about places like the Mount of Olives and the Plain of Megiddo. Isn't it time to see these remarkable sights for yourself? Join us on the Pathway to Victory Bible Prophecy Tour of Israel. To learn more, go to ptv.org.